you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to just start there, Start there, um, going through verses 1 to 11. Are you ready to get back to some fighting? Yeah. yeah? I've been very encouraged by your response to the church going on offense during these days of virus. I uh, think last week was the first, um, well, it was the largest attendance we've had at, at our prayer meeting for years. So we praise God for that and, and what he's doing. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. So what what we're seeing here on Sunday, I believe, is a result of what we're praying on Wednesday. And uh, so that's going to happen every Wednesday, 7 p.m. And uh, we encourage you to come when you can, lend your faith uh, to our prayers. We're in a fight for our church and for each other. Uh, but we're fighting different than the rest of the world because... Uh, you know, we, um, we know God, and that means we have some different ways of fighting. Prayer is our primary strategy in this, in this fight. We're a praying offense, and today we're going to look at the one offensive weapon that God is, has given us uh, in, in his word. Um, so I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of ways that people fight uh, today, maybe, maybe in the history of the world. There's a lot of, a lot of ways that people fight um, you look back, and uh, a couple weeks ago now, there was a, a fight on TV called the presidential debate, you know, where they were fighting each other. And, and I don't know that there was a clear winner or not, but, you know, there's another one coming up on Thursday, if you care. Today, the Colts will go on the football field, and they will fight the Bengals. Hopefully, they'll put up a good fight. If you're a Colts fan, if you're Lance, then you're hoping that the, the Bengals will win, you know. Of course, you've got boxing, right? And... Uh, uh, boxing is uh, the two fighters get in the ring, they put the gloves on, and they start fighting each other. And then you got now this thing called MMA fighting, where they take the gloves off and, and also add kicking into that. Sometimes a cage. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Did you know that there is a uh, is a slapping competition in in Russia? Did, did you know about this? I'm telling you the truth. I would not dare speak something that wasn't true. In fact, I knew that I would have to convince some of you, so I, I got just a, just a short video of the slapping competition from last December in Russia. So here you go.
I know. It's amazing, isn't it? I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if they did the debate like that on Thursday night? <laughs> just an idea. Just, just an idea. <laughs> well, listen, Jesus knows about fighting. In Luke chapter 4, he takes on the devil, and after he's had this 40-day fast in the wilderness. And so we're going to listen to these verses because it's a great example of how to fight like a believer. So let's read those. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to express our gratitude today for your word, the good food that it is for our soul, the encouragement that it is, the treasure that it is. We pray our hearts would be good soil for it as you plant it in there today, that it would bear good fruit, that it would encourage us to find, eat, and delight in your word today. Thank you for for that. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as much as we would wish that Jesus would have just slapped the devil down there, um, he shows us that his weapon of choice to take on the evil one was the word of God. So the devil tempts... And Jesus responds, it is written, right? It is written. First, the devil goes after his physical desires. You know, he was hungry, fasted 40 days. And he, um, he says, you know, turn these, these stones into bread. And Jesus says, he responds with Deuteronomy 8, 3, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then Satan tries to use scripture to sucker Jesus into a sin. He quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, that talks about God protecting his children and using his angel army. And again, Jesus comes back with, it is written from Deuteronomy 6, 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the third time he comes to him and he gives Jesus a glimpse of the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory, promises him that he could have all of that if he would bow down and worship him. And, and Jesus says, be gone, Satan. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, you shall worship the Lord your God and only serve him. So when you look at how Jesus fought the devil, he had a confidence in God's word. He had a grip on God's word. And he had a victory with God's word. And that's how we need to fight like a believer. So first, how do we get a confidence in God's word? 
Well, you know, the Bible has much to say about the Bible. And it gives us good reason to have a confidence that God's word is God's word. But if you don't have faith that God's word is God's word, you're never really going to get the confidence that you need to fight like a believer. And that's exactly what happened to Billy Graham years and years ago. He had a friend named Charles Templeton. And both of them were evangelists. In fact, many thought that uh, Charles was the better preacher of the two. And something happened in Charles's life that began to cause him to doubt his Christian faith. And he eventually became a skeptic of the Christian faith. And so he would come to Billy from time to time and he would, he would question him and he would say, Billy, you're, you're 50 years out of date. Nobody believes the Bible's the inspired word of God. You're just too simple in your faith. Well, in 1949, that sent Billy Graham on a, on a quest to find some answers for the questions that he was having. And so he was looking and searching the scriptures, praying for God, uh, for, for answers. And he ended up on a, a moonlit walk in the San Bernardino Mountains. He had his, his Bible in hand and he just knelt down and he said, God, I don't have all the answers to my friend's questions, to my questions to the doubts that I have about your word, but I'm going to believe that by faith, this is your inspired word of God. So ultimately, you got to have faith that this book was written by God and preserved for us and all believers to know how to worship him and how to follow him in this life. But just because we need faith doesn't mean that there are not very good reasons to believe that that's God's word. You know, the Bible is the most attacked book in the history of the world. History of the world. They've been coming after the Bible. In December of 2014, Newsweek ran a a cover story by Kurt Eichenwald. It was entitled, The Bible, So Misunderstood, It's a Sin. So the article isn't just an attack on the Bible, but the Christian faith overall. And when you read it, you find that there's absolutely nothing new in it. It is the same arguments that they've been throwing at the Bible for the last three or four hundred years since the age of enlightenment. So they say, well, you don't have the original writings. How can, how can it be trustworthy? They say, you know, the Bible has contradictions in there. You know, one place it says one thing, another place it says another. And in all those copies that were made, there's, there's a ton of errors because of all those copies. In fact, Dr. Bart, uh, Bart D. Urim, a biblical scholar who, uh, who uh, serves, he's a pref- professor at University of North Carolina, he was quoted in the article that said, there are more variations among our manuscripts of the Bible than there are words in the New Testament. Bunch of errors. So full of errors. On and on the article goes and it gets to how Christians misuse the Bible for political and social change. It ends with this quote, the Bible is a very human book. It was written, assembled, copied and translated by people. And that explains the flaws, contradictions and the theological disagreements in its pages. Now I bring that up because when you read stuff like that, it has a tendency to be like Billy Graham's friend Charles, and it chips away at our confidence that this is the Word of God. I mean, how can ordinary church folk believe that this Bible is trustworthy and reliable when there's PhDs in universities that do this thing for a living, study it all the time, that say that it's not? By faith, 
But I want to give you some evidence that will help boost your confidence that this is the inspired word of God. And first of all, we we got to understand this is a history book. It's a history book. There are people in here, places and events that can all be verified that they happened. When you think about archaeology, the field of archaeology, and you realize in the history of the field, there has never been anything that has ever been dug up that proves that the Bible is wrong. In the history of archaeology, only things that support it. In fact, there's a story, you know, about John the Baptist being beheaded in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. How the princess Salome, you know, she was, uh, she was asked to dance for King Herod, her father-in-law. He was so pleased that he said, you know, uh, you can have anything, just about anything. I'll give it to you. And she asked for the head of John the Baptist. Well, the historian Josephus, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that that happened in Herod's palace on the east side of the Dead Sea. Have a picture of that place. So that is where Salome did her dance for King Herod. You can go there. You can walk there. You can see it. It's real. And that's just one place of the many that you could go and see that we read about in the Bible. Just one example. We've got a book full of history. Another confidence booster is the testimony of the lives of the men who wrote down the Bible and how they lived and how they died. You know, when you study their lives, you find out what they were, who they were. They were honest men. They were sincere men. They were eyewitnesses of what happened to the risen Christ. They weren't men who created this story that they wanted to start a movement or they lied about what they'd seen. And all of them, uh, save John, all of them died a martyr's death because of what they believed. They went to their grave believing that Jesus was the Son of God, died on a cross for our sins, and rose from the grave. They went to the grave because of that. That ought to tell us something about the reliability of what they wrote down. And then when you just kind of step back from the Bible and you look at the whole thing as a, as a, you know, a whole book, it's, it's, a, it's got a unified message. You know, there's 66 books in there. And they were written over 1,500 years about on three different continents. And the authors, there's over 40 different authors, and they come from all walks of life, from uneducated fishermen, peasants, to kings, to statesmen, to philosophers, to doctors. And when you look at their message, it all says the same thing. And when you see that unified message in there, it points to a divine source, a divine author that 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 speaks about. It says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then speaking of prophecy... You know, this book's got a bunch of prophecies in it, and that makes it another, it's another confidence booster. It's got hundreds and hundreds of detailed prophecies about the future, about individuals, and about nations. When you just look at Jesus, there's over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, from where he would be born, his family tree, how he would die, and how he would rise again. And then we read the New Testament... You know, and we read about Jesus and we realize that he fulfilled all these detailed things about him that were written hundreds of years before he actually did them. And there's just absolutely no way to explain that except that we've got a divine author to the book. There is no other religious book that you can get your hands on 
with the amount and type of detailed prophecy that's predicting the future except the Bible. There's no other book like it. That's a confidence booster. Now, I could go on. There's manuscript evidence. There's the extra biblical authors, people who were outside the Bible that wrote about things in the Bible like Josephus. He wrote about Jesus. Uh, Of course, the durability of the Bible is still the most translated book, the most popular book after all these years, after all those attacks, all of that. All confidence boosters, all reasons for us to believe that the Bible is reliable, it is infallible, it does not have any errors in it, it is in fact the inspired word of God. It is just like 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. It is just like Psalm 19 verses 7 and 8 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. It's an amazing book. Amazing. So how's your confidence in God's word today? How, how is it? Because you're going to need it to be strong for this fight that we're going to be in when the old world and the devil uh, start coming at us. Now, today I brought something with me to show you. So show and tell this morning. Brought this from home. This is a, this is a sword. This is a gift from my dad that hangs on my wall. It's a reminder to me that I am called to be a man of God, to live my life with courage and righteousness and faithfulness and love. And that's why it hangs there. Uh, so thanks, Dad, for that reminder. And it, it also reminds me how much I love those movies that have the sword-fighting battles in them, you know. Uh, I'm a sucker for movies like Braveheart and, and that kind of thing. But I, I have to confess I know absolutely nothing about how to use this as a weapon, you know, in a fight. I got no idea what, you know, how to, how to use it. I'd be done. But I do know one thing. You need to have a good grip on this baby because if you swing it without that, you know, you're, you're in trouble. You need to have a good grip on a sword if you're going to be in a battle, whether you're in Braveheart or whether you're a believer. You know, the Bible uh, talks about the Word of God as a sword. In Ephesians 6.10, Paul's talking about the armor of God. And the same thing goes, goes for, for believers with the Bible as it does for a, a guy in Braveheart with a sword. You've got to have a five-fingered grip on the Word of God if you're going to use it in battle. Now, the navigators, they call that five-finger grip a word hand, okay? Jesus calls it living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is how you get a good, strong grip on the word of God. First of all, you just need to read it. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the prophecies in this book. Now, you, certainly that's talking about Revelation, but it's very easily applied to the rest of of the Bible, the whole book. It is, it is pretty easy to neglect Bible reading, especially if, you, if you've read it before, you know, maybe a, a couple of times. Um, but Bible reading keeps you familiar with what is in it. And you need to be familiar with what is in it if you're going to use it to fight. So when was the last time you just read through the whole Bible? I was thinking, you know, 2020 has not been very kind to us, you know. It's not not been very kind. Uh, But you could redeem 2020 in your life if you would go home today and look up a Bible reading plan and start it. And just every day read a chunk of the Bible. 
You know, start consuming it. Start feasting on it because it is the foundation for your grip. That's the first finger of this grip. The second one is you need to hear it taught. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes from hearing the message. So hearing Pastor Huber's message last week, for me sitting over there, I was just so stirred up by his faith. The way he was applying James chapter 1 verse 2 to his life and the trials he was going through. And it counted all joy, you know. And it just stirred me up to want to do the same. And that's how it goes. And we live in such a, a great time where you can find biblical preachers all over the place. You know, podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, um, church. You, you can find them all over the place. And so we don't have a good excuse for not hearing the Word of God explained and then applied to our life. And so we need to be doing that. But I want to caution you there a little bit. And I want you to have a discerning ear. Because there are such a thing as false teachers out there. And so when you go looking for somebody to, to sit under, you know, in their teaching, you want to look for somebody that is respecting the Word of God as the Word of God. You don't want somebody that is using the Word of God for their own gain, but you want someone who's being used by the Word of God for God's glory. Okay, so that's kind of, you know, if they put themselves out as the expert on anything, turn the channel, find a new podcast. I'm no expert. He's the expert. I'm just trying to pass on to you what he said. That's how it goes. And so, you know, you can find a lot of those kind of guys, not on TV, in little churches. You know, they're just being faithful, preaching the Word of God. That's who you want to find. They're going to help you have a good grip on the sword. Third thing you need to do is study your Bible. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, speaks about the Berean Christians. The Berean Christians, they were examining the scriptures after Paul preached to them to see if what he was saying is true. And that's how we want to be. There's a lot of different ways that you can study the Bible. We've tried a lot of them in our family here at the church. Um, But, you know, I I believe that the best ones, that um, the best Bible studies that you can do are the ones where you personally just get right in the Bible. There's nothing in between you and the Bible. You just get right in there and you look at what it says and apply it to your life. Here's, one, here's an example. There's one called the SOAP study. Okay, the, the S is where you take a, a passage of Scripture um, and you just write it down. That's the S. The O, that is you observe what's in it. Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a command to obey? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an example to follow? You know, just observe what is in this passage of Scripture. And then the next thing, the A, is to apply it. You know, how can I bring this word to life in my life? And then the last one is to pray. You pray and ask God to help you, help you do that. So it's a soap study. It's very easy. If you just rely on other people to explain the Bible to you and apply it to your life, you will always end up leaning on them to fight for you. But if you will learn to get in this book and to look at what it says to you personally and how you apply that to your life, if you make that a personal study, then you'll be one who's doing the fighting for other people. Soap study. Fourth thing you need to do in your effort to grip the sword is you need to meditate on the Word of God. Listen to Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in, in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So meditating on the word day and night. Now meditating can be like this strange word and can bring up some all kinds of weird things. But really, it's a very simple thing for us to do. All it means is that you take that word that you just studied or you just heard it preached or you just read and you keep thinking about it. That's really what it means. You just keep brewing it in your mind. You keep allowing the Holy Spirit to renew your mind with that word that you've just heard, read, or studied. I've been meditating on Genesis 29, verse 20. It says, Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. And I I read that and I thought, you know, Lord, I want that to be the way I serve you in ministry. I want to love you so much that the the years of labor that that, that I have left for you, however many that is, Seem like just a few days. (laughs) And that's been, I mean, as I've been thinking about that, it's been convicting me, you know. And it's been stoking my love for him and, and changing my service to him. And that's what meditating will do. You just keep taking that same word, you know. And that helps you do the last one. The last, the fifth, the fifth finger is memorize the word of God. And that's probably the least favorite. Psalm 19, verse 11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So probably the least favorite, but probably the most helpful when it comes to fighting with the word of God in this spiritual war. You'll notice that Jesus did not pull out his phone to Google the scripture references he was thinking about when he was fighting the devil. And I realize it is absolutely not fair to compare our mind to Jesus' mind. I I understand that. But you know what? Our minds have a great capacity to memorize things. If you listen to any kind of music when you were growing up, you can probably think of songs that are still in there, you know, going round and round, wishing you could forget them, you know, but they just come back. Why Why can't I remember the Word of God like that, you know? Things just pop back up. In fact, you know that one psalm that I just quoted, that Psalm 19? On you know uh, the law of the Lord is perfect. One time in B- we are, I was in BSF Bible Study Fellowship. We were driving up to the North Side for the men's study. My daughter Casey had to memorize that Bible verse, so we made a song up. We made a song up. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. We learned that song in 15 minutes, and I have never forgot it. And I'm no songwriter. We were just talking about songwriting. I'm no songwriter. But Casey remembers it too. It's amazing. We can memorize the Word of God. And we need to memorize the Word of God. It will come in handy in prayer. It will come in handy when you are are fighting temptation. So uh, how is your grip on on the Word of God? It's a five-finger grip you need to to wield, wield this sword that God has given us in this fight. They're just habits. Habits that you want to establish in your life to be able to fight like a believer. Listen, without listen, without a good grip on God's word, you're going to be an easy target for the lies of the enemy and for his temptations without a good grip on it. And you will have no lens to look at this world and figure out what's going on. All you'll have is your own experience 
and your own wisdom without a good grip on the word. You will have no belt of truth to buckle around your waist that gives you strength in the core. And when you don't have that strength, that confidence, that will send you cowering at home and staying away from people. And when you don't have a good grip on, on God's word, you will not know who you are. You won't know who you are. But if you'll read it, if you'll hear it taught, if you'll study it, if you'll meditate on it, if you'll memorize it, God will work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. He'll do it. So how's your grip? You got all five fingers wrapped around the word of God? Do you need to start one of those habits? Do you need to restart all of those habits? If you do, today's a great day to do that. I mean, you're already hearing the message. I mean, you got one of them down. Go home, look up a Bible reading plan. Start reading today at lunch. Study something. Think about it all week long. And while you're thinking about it, memorize it. It's not hard to do. The battle is really, you know, fighting yourself in that. But you will be so glad you got this good grip on God's Word because Jesus becomes your personal trainer through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. So when your confidence is high that God's word is God's word and you got a good grip on it, you will be ready and willing and able to get a victory with God's word. Matthew chapter 4 verse 11 is the victory verse right there. It says Satan left Jesus and God ministered to him. That's what victory looks like right there. So Jesus stood against Satan's temptations with the word of God. He loved God more than he loved himself. He remained faithful to his father when the opportunities were put before him for self-gratification, self-sufficiency, self-service, self-exaltation, all of those things right before Jesus. And he said no to those things by the power of the word of God and stayed faithful to his heavenly father. That is victory. Now, again, I know we're talking about Jesus here. And we're not Jesus, but we can have the same experience. We can have that same victory with the word of God. Now, James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10 goes like this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So that is a path to victory. Right there. We submit to God and believe in his word and obeying it. That's, that's how we do that. It's authoritative in our life. When we do that, we can resist the devil. And that's when he'll... Flee from us. Now, Jesus, with a word, sent Satan packing. He has that kind of authority, but we don't have that kind of authority. Our words don't have any of that authority. So what we do is we come under his authority, and we do that by his word. We submit to it. We draw near to God, and he draws near to us. When we do that, we humble ourselves before him by confession. We tell him our hands and and our hearts are dirty. Our minds are messed up, you know. I know what I want to do, but I keep doing other things. I know what I want to think about, but I keep thinking about other things. We're double-minded, unstable in all of our ways. But when we get honest with God, when we come under His authority, it, it says, 
He lifts us up. He, he lifts us up. He gives us the victory. He puts us in the victory pose. So if we get on our knees before him, he'll put us back on our feet. That's how you fight like a believer. Got to have that confident grip on God's word to overcome. Because it's not by our word. It's by his word that we get the victory. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, God's word gives us the tools. It gives us the truth that we need to get there. His word gives us truth to defeat lies. Truth that God is good. That he is for you, not against you. That he is sovereign. That he is all-powerful and can do anything without breaking a sweat. We need that truth today. That's not, the, that's not the common truth that people think about God. He's for us, not against us. We also need to know who we are. The truth of who we are. We are a child of God. We are made in his image. Just because of that alone, we have value to him. We are not our sin. We are not our mistakes and messes. We are not our failures. We are His. We belong to Him. We are the pearl of great price that God the Father gave everything in His Son Jesus so that He could have us. We are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. You get that from the Bible. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are a slave to God. And he is working in you and through you. You get that from this book. This book gives us truth to conquer sin. You know, this book has the answers for the sin of racism in it. It tells us in there to consider others more significant than ourselves. That alone, that truth alone, erases racism in our country. And it's just not like, here's what to do. There's a here's how to do it. You got the Good Samaritan. You remember the Samaritans? They were despised people in the, in the world there. And he was the one who stopped and he helped the victim. And then totally at his expense, he, took, he brought justice back and he brought healing back. At his expense. If we would do that, say goodbye to, wait, to, to racism. Because the truth is, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the only one who is good is God. Yeah. We got, Jesus has got the answer. Truth to defeat lies. God's word gives us strength for our weakness. You know, when we cry out for relief from the thorns that we've got, you know, like Paul did, there are times crying out, take this thorn out of my side. And what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. And he says, my power is made perfect my strength is made perfect in your weakness. While you persevere in this weakness, you're going to find out that my strength is made perfect in you. There's strength right there when the thorn isn't taken away. He gives us, he gives us that strength to persevere. You know, God's word says that when we don't have the strength to pay, pray, when we're out of words, when the pain's too great, when we, when we, you know, the, the problem's too great, we can't figure it out. God's word says that the Holy Spirit jumps in there and starts groaning for us. Praying things that we could never pray. There's strength there. When you're the target of bullies, when you're the target of injustice or false accusations, God is our avenger. He's the one who is the lifter of our head. Strength for weakness from the Word of God. 
We get light for our darkness. He says in there that he will speak to us and he will show us the way to go, this to the right or to the left. This light for our path. In fact, this book's called A Lamp Unto Our Feet and a Light Unto Our Path. When darkness surrounds us all over the place, he gives us enough light to keep walking down the path. It says he is the light of our life. He is the light of our life. And so he shines through us to other people in the world. When we get in the light, as he is in the light, where we confess our sins, we get honest with God, you know, so things are good this way. When that happens, guess what happens? We can have fellowship with one another. We can have real, authentic relationships. I don't need to put a mask on me and try to prove to you I'm a good person because I know I'm a crummy person. But because of him, I'm, I'm valued, I'm loved. And that brings real fellowship. Light in our darkness. He gives love for our shame. You find, that in, you find that out in this book. You get love for your shame. I mean, it's in the first three chapters of the Bible. Remember that? Adam sinned. When he sinned, he committed the greatest sin that was ever committed. Because it was the only sin he could commit. What did he do? He knew he was in trouble. He ran and hid from God. What did God do? Adam... Hey, Adam, where are you? And what did he do when he found him? He didn't spank him. He covered over his shame. He killed the animals, covered his nakedness. He loved him. He ran after him in his shame. This book tells us that. This book tells us that Jesus stays in our life even when we sin. You know, I mean, he promised us that he would never leave us or forsake us. Our Jesus did that. He promised us that. So that means he's never going to leave you when you're down. He, his, heart is, his heart is humble and is lowly. He longs to show us mercy when we sin, when we fall. He doesn't say, ah, I'm done with you, Greg. You've been, coming, you've been falling over the same log for, you know. He never says that. He sticks with you. He pours out his mercy on us. He never gives up on us, never. You get that from the word of God. You don't get that from the world. You don't get that from humanism. You don't get it anywhere else but the Word of God. It's, it's amazing. It's powerful. And then there's hope. There's hope for your despair in this book. You know, that this Bible says that today could be the day. Today could be the day we see His face. Could be today. You know, that he promised that he was going to come back. And he hasn't come back, so that promise is still good. And Jesus keeps all of his promises. So there's something there to hang on to. There's hope there that today could be the day when there is no hope to be found anywhere. There's hope right there. It also says that today could be the day of salvation. So that person you've been praying for, you know, that you've been bringing before the Lord, asking him to turn from the from their sin and themselves and turn to God and believe in Jesus, today could be the day of salvation. There's hope in that. And there's hope that today could be the day of the answer. That prayer you've been praying over and over and over and you're struggling to believe that God hears you. That, you know, this word says that when our prayers go up, word goes out in the kingdom and things get moving. Did you know that this word says that our prayers are so precious to him, they are collected in bowls of incense in his throne room. And so what that means is our prayers of the saints are the fragrance in the throne room of God. Are you hanging on to that word today? There's hope for your despair. 
And this word tells us there's life instead of death. Jesus' death did not end in the cemetery. His grave is empty. He defeated death. It no longer has a hold on him. And by faith, so will I. By faith in him, so will you. You will defeat death. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Death is not going to have the last word at your funeral. Jesus is. You know where I heard that? Right here. Right here. That's what this word tells us. An incredible treasure that God has given us. I'm going to have our worship team come back up. Somebody go grab Frank. There he is. <laughs> so all of this, all of it is God-breathed scripture. It was given to men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's there for us to read, to find, eat, and delight in. You know, we're living in difficult days. And people fight in many, many ways. But believer, we have a sword that God has given us. It is a living and active sword. It's the Word of God. It is God's voice to our heart. It is instructions on the best way to live our life. The battle belongs to the Lord. And if we would come under Him, we would confess our sins, submit to His authority, cry out for help, He will kick Satan to the curb in your life and He will lift you up and you will strike the pose. That's how you fight like a believer with the Word of God. Let's pray. Father God, we are just thanking You so much for Your Word. It's a miraculous book. Nothing human about it. We thank you for for writing it for us. We thank you for preserving it for us and for the freedom we have in this country to consume it every day. So we pray, Lord, you give us strength for our hands to get a good grip on that word. Um, Help us to get back at it, get back to it, to feast on it, to allow it to, to work in us, to change us. And then help us, Lord, to share it, share it, to bring it to life in our lives so those around us can see who you are, Lord. We thank you for those um, that are here today that have heard this, that are going to take a step toward that, getting that good grip. I pray for those, Lord, today that need truth, that are swimming around in lies and they don't know where to go. Lord, I pray they would go to your word and find it, speak to them. I pray for those that need light in their darkness, for those that need strength in their weakness, hope in their despair, even life in their death, Lord. We pray all those things would come to life in their their life. Lord, pour your grace out upon us. Let it be abundant in our life. We pray for the one who doesn't know you, as Savior, Lord, that they would see you 
as the beautiful God that you are, the love that you have for him as displayed in Christ Jesus coming, dying on that cross for the forgiveness of our sins and rising from the grave to show that he was who he says he was and that he says believing in him gives us a future and a hope and a, and a life with God forever. Pray for that one that needs to, to cling to that truth today and take a step of faith, Lord. Give him the grace to do that today. So, Lord, as we go out, fill us with your Holy Spirit. None of this we have to do in our own strength. You've given us him as our helper. Help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.